0: As well. Or will I, will I read it? No, I'll look at the screen. Paul is writing to Corinth, and uh, that he's greeted them in the way that he does and talked and rejoiced in all the good things that God has done in Corinth. But, and then he starts to deal with a whole series of problems that he's heard about on the grapevine as to what has gone wrong in Corinth. And the first one is that they were just falling out, getting into factions. Somewhere of Paul, somewhere of Apollos. Uh, and and in, in addressing that, this is where Paul picks it up. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of the world, since in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for such a wonderful, wonderful salvation that you, Lord Jesus, have become everything for us, everything that we need, everything that we could hope for, our wisdom, our righteousness, and our redemption. Lord Jesus, thank you that you saw fit out of love and mercy to come from heaven to to this sinful earth in order that we might be with you in heaven. We pray that the wonder of it and the centrality of it will be impressed on each of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen that there were a whole host host of um, problems in Corinth. And uh, (laughs) Corinth isn't on its own in that, but there were splits. There there were attitude problems. There was heresy. (laughs) There were people calling to question the whole resurrection as a truth. That Greek thinking, thinking in a worldly, secular way, are just prejudiced and confused. And uh, there were whole, these problems just kept popping up. Legalism. Thinking that I can get to God by keeping my nose clean and, and impressing God and keeping the rules. Uh, and licentiousness. You know, a man was having it off with his father's wife. The details. <laughs> we're not told too many of the details, but that was what was happening. That was immorality. And... Uh, and there were lawsuits. That there were Christians in the Church of Corinth, so they were so naffed off with what other people were doing, they were taking them to court, suing them. And Paul is writing to address just that mess, really. And this is his probably his second letter. In 2 Corinthians, it says this is now the third letter. So he's probably already had a go. He's, he's, he's written once already in order to bring some clarity to the mess. And, and that doesn't seem to have worked, so he's having to write again. And uh, he's taking them back to their foundations. That um, in, in chapter 3, that he says, by the, the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. So Paul, when he founded the church, taught certain things and established certain basis for what the church is and what, how, how we know God and so on. And, and you have a hint of that in Acts 18, that uh, we haven't got time to read it this morning, but Acts 18 describes how Paul had been in Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi first, and then come down to Athens, had that encounter in the Areopagus, uh, and then had to leave Athens, and had arrived in Corinth, Um, which was the most pagan of of cities in in Asia Minor at the time. And uh, it says in Acts 18, verse 4, that every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So that's how it started. In the synagogue, he started teaching and preaching about Jesus. Uh, and you have him, the, uh, as the work developed in verse 11, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Uh, and we know a little bit about what he taught, because one of the complaints in, in verse 13 that was that he was teaching people to worship God contrary to the law. And uh, that in the first chapter, in some of the verses that we, didn't, that we haven't read, that he makes reference to the, how he was preaching Christ and the cross. And the key verse, if we could just go back a slide, the, the key verse that I want us to think about this morning is this verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He, he's referring back how many years it was. It, it was a fair time. The church had grown, problems had arisen. So he's taking them back to those foundations that he laid in the church, the first principles. He, he's reminding them of what it was, that how they, what they all started with, And according to Paul, it was Jesus Christ, he was determined when he was there, he says, he was absolutely emphatic that the the whole church, the whole thing was going to be centred on. In fact, he says he, he, he didn't talk about anything while he was with them, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, that raises questions in your mind, doesn't it? I mean, did he only have one sermon? I mean, that... That when he was in Ephesus in Acts 19, remember he, he, he got kicked out of, uh, of the synagogue and he, he went to teach in the school hall of Tyrannus for two years. Uh, and the whole of Asia, the province of Asia, heard the word of God. But he didn't have two years in Corinth, he had six months. But did he, what do you mean that he only talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified? Did he just keep saying the same thing? Or was everything that he said coming out of one thing? Was everything, in terms of what Paul taught the church, grounded, rooted, founded on one simple issue, Jesus Christ and him crucified? I I think it's got to be the latter. So this is my question this morning. Why, why, did, why did Paul just teach this? I was, I did, I was, I've read, learned it in a different version. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, first of all, it's because Jesus Christ and him crucified is the reason for everything else. He uses the phrase Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the word Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. That tends to be used in reference to where the resurrection and victory is included. He leaves the Lord word off and and Jesus Christ, he's focusing on the fact that Jesus Christ is the saviour. He's the one who's come and reconciled and that Jesus Christ and him crucified. I It's a perfect participle in Greek. It's the the tense of the verb where it's there's something that happened definitely once, but it has a continuing impact. It isn't something happened and that was the end of it. It's the tense, it's a perfect part. It happened historically, but the consequences of what happened is ongoing. In other words, the death of Jesus and the consequence, the effect, the efficacy, as we say, is still with us. He he came in the purposes of God to be the Savior. Christ Jesus came into the world, 1 Timothy 4, to save sinners. Paul is saying that that's the deal. That's the main thing. The important thing he's saying in Corinth is to keep the main thing the main thing, and this is the main thing that Jesus is the Saviour, and that, uh, that there's that verse in, in, in Revelation thirteen eight, which says that He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In the purposes of God, the main thing has been the main thing in the heart of God. We're hearing about the Big Bang. I don't know if you're into Big Bangs this week, but everybody seems to be into Big Bangs this week. And uh, I always want to ask, what went bang? Uh, anyway, we won't go there. What was before the bang? Another, anyway, that they, before the bang, Jesus was, in the purposes of God, the Lamb who, in terms of God's intention, the deal was already done then. And then through the whole of the Old Testament, you get get to Isaiah 53 and the prophets talking about that uh, we all, like sheep, have gone astray and turned every one to our own, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then you get to the Gospels, and they're not biographies, are they? Because... (laughs) A third of each gospel is just on one week. How weird is that? What what an amazing emphasis in the gospels that this crucifixion of Jesus should take such prominence. And of course it should. Because Jesus Christ and him crucified is how he became our redeemer. That's how he reconciled us to God. That's how it could possibly be that the wrath of God to sin, that was my, that was what was coming. That He took the wrath of God, He bore the penalty of my sin, that I might be counted right. He is my wisdom, righteousness, and redemption. It, it was at the cross that that God sorted out this terrible, terrible condition that sin has put me in. God made Him who knew no sin. To become sin, that, I, that we might become the righteousness of God. That, that, that it was at the cross that, where the sacrificial lamb was offered in our place. It, it was because of Jesus Christ and Him crucified that death has lost its sting. <laughs> death doesn't have the dread that it would otherwise have, the wrath of God, He sorted, the punishment that was coming, the condemnation. And Jesus is uh, Paul is saying here that it's Jesus Christ and Him creating That's the main deal. That that's the main thing. Uh, And uh, it's of course it's it's. If you read through the letters to the Corinthians, they they were involved in gathering resources to help those in need. They they did do a form of food bank, and thank God for food bank. Thank God for street pastors. Uh, and for food and for night shelters, I, I was I was in a meeting this week with a bloke who organises CAP, CAP, Christians Against Poverty, and he's a, he's now the the kind of Wales um, bloke responsible. I wouldn't say top man; that was a bit too flattering. Um, but but I was talking to him this week, and he was enthusing about the people who've been who are on their way out of a, out of a debt prison, uh, personally. But he was much more enthused about the number of people that have come to Christ across South Wales and how many people last week that were baptized as a consequence of the cap course. And uh, there's something about that whole program which has got what Paul is talking about, that that it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. All that other stuff is secondary. It's the gospel that's primary. I'll come back to that in a minute. But that's the, it's the reason for everything else. But it's the remedy for everything else. How, do, do you find it odd? Imagine, that. Imagine that you know, worst-case scenario, you're a deacon in Corinth, right? And it's Tuesday night, and you're sat round, and all the other deacons are, are, are sat there looking glum-faced. And you say, well, what's on the agenda tonight? Well, immorality lawsuits, um, leglessness at the fellowship lunch, drinking yourself under the table at the fellowship lunch, um, contradicting the gospel and not believing in the resurrection. That's the agenda. Which shall we start with? Imagine. I mean, it might be, they're normally long meetings, but this might be exceptionally long. So So why in the light of that does Paul start here? In the, if there's all of that on the agenda, if this church is going so AWOL, why on earth does Paul say that he was resolved to know nothing while he was among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified? Surely this isn't the place to start, is it? Well, of course it is. Just think about them. You know, t- take the, you know, you're taking him to court because he's done that to you, and you want redress. And you're absolutely right. It's only right. Sue the pants off him. Go for him. You've got a good lawyer. You've got a... a, Well, hang on. What does the gospel say to that? Well, we're all guilty. What do you mean that I need to sue him for my rights? Paul says, wouldn't it be better to suffer loss? Are we not all debtors before God? The the Christian, taking the Christian to court, what they needed was the gospel. It was that Jesus had cancelled everybody's debts, that we are all sinners together and nobody has rights over the other. Take the, the problem of the man that was sleeping with his father's wife. You think, well, what does the gospel have to do with that? An awful lot. Because according to Titus, the grace of God teaches me to say no to unrighteousness and ungodly passion. But we're sinners, aren't we? And wasn't it to save us from our sins that Jesus came? Well, wasn't it to produce Christians that weren't addicted to the internet, that didn't have affairs at work, whose minds weren't fully corrupted and polluted? Wasn't that... Don't we need the gospel? I think when I was with you a few weeks ago, I suggested that we needed to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Wouldn't it be a better church if we all every day reminded ourselves that we're all fallen sinners and none of us is righteous or better than anybody else and that we're all prone to sin spectacularly? What Might I go out into the world in this coming week somewhat better prepared and guarded if I only preach the gospel to myself every day? And as for, you know, being legless at fellowship lunch because you've drunk yourself under the table, and uh, that's what he's saying in chapter 11, well, (laughs) Christ has redeemed a people. And as for this whole legalism thing, wow, how how could you have been under Paul's minute... We don't earn anything from God, do we? We don't deserve anything. There's nothing in me or you that would appeal to God or commend me to God that he might be nice to us. He was nice to us despite what we are. It's all by grace, isn't it? Only by grace can... It's only because of his undeserved favor. That that's why... In the face of every one of the issues, Paul says, I was determined to know nothing when I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the application of the death of Christ, whatever my issue. I've got to come back here. This is the foundation that the church was built on. And whatever issue I'm struggling with in life, this is the answer. Paul wasn't prepared to get into speculative philosophy or dress it up as something else at all. He wasn't prepared to have a message that would kind of be more Jewish and more appealing to no, Not at all. He's straight in their face. No, no. It's a crucified Savior. Somebody who took the curse on my behalf. It's the basis of Everything. It's almost like the virus checker. You got one of those? I hope you have. or you are some weird things on your computer. It's almost like the virus checker for life. Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I keep the main thing, the main thing, that I may live the sanctified, clean, holy life that Paul is talking about at the beginning of chapter 1, It probably needs to shape the deacon's agenda. No matter what the controversy is, we need to go back to the foundation. This is the main thing. It's the gospel. So it's the reason for everything. It's the remedy for everything. And it's the reality confronting everything. This this is... Not always the easiest thing to say, but he says he was determined he was he decided he'd made up his mind he was resolved it it had shaped the man's life it, it, it had affected his ambition and his purpose and his outlook on life There's a sense in which if if it, if we look back into chapter one and verse seventeen he says that if Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It had such a transforming effect on Paul. It's almost as if the cross of Jesus had been imprinted on the back of his eyes, and... It just colored how he viewed everything. He wrote, didn't he, in Acts 20, a little bit after Ephesus, that how he was considering his life of worthy, worthy, worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me of testifying to the gospel of his grace. That there's a sense with Paul here as if it's the only thing that matters. We live in a very materialistic age. We have all kind of agendas banging onto us, confronting us, wanting to get our support and ownership. And and Paul is is here modeling that actually luxury has completely lost its appeal. Materialism has lost its appeal. Respectability and status and approval. Even religion has lost its appeal the only thing that matters is this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It changes everything. It's the game changer. If, as he writes it to Philippians, that's what gain is. Philippians 1, it says, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. And anything else, Philippians 3, I just count it as loss for the, for the sake of knowing him, of being found in him, of being in the center of what is the main thing to him. And somehow we, we get these things out of sync. I, I, I was reading this week, finishing off an excellent book, What is the Mission of the Church?, by de Young and Gilbert. Uh, If you're into that thing, get it, read it. Outstanding read. And in the course of it, 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 de Young just throws out this, there is a fate worse than death. You know the phrase? Death is not the worst thing that could happen to me. Dying without Christ and without hope, is the worst possible thing that can happen to me. Neglecting salvation and facing a Christless destiny is a much, much worse fate than death. That's why he was determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But, uh, and and uh, Gilbert, uh, de Young and Gilbert, they, 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 they just throw out this picture, and they, they say that, and rightly so, that hell is it's not a subject that we kind of put on the poster outside as our major selling point. But we can't live the Christian life, and the gospel will not be the main thing unless the reality of it is really quite sobered us. And he says that the the judgment to come for those who are not in personal salvation through Christ, he said it's like the ballast in the boat. And for churches, it's like the ballast in the boat. If this is not the main thing, if the necessity of being reconciled to God for my eternal safety is not the main thing, that that, that there's no ballast in the boat, and the boat easily goes off course, and it's very unstable. I thought there's something quite profound in that. That for Paul, it was the cross that colored everything, shaped everything, put value on what was important, why he lived. Which is why, no matter what the issue, he was concerned to take Corinth back to the founding principle. And he was insistent on it. It's interesting, isn't it? And this is a challenge to our day. Not quite sure what Martin and the deacon should do about it, but I'll I'll just throw it out and leave it to them and walk out and drive away. But he didn't dress it up. He didn't kind of wrap it in hip-hop. He he wasn't presentation conscious with this cross. He, he, he didn't try to make it seeker-friendly. He didn't say, because in the verse that we read, in verse 18, that to the Greek, it was an offence to the Jew, foolishness to the Greek. But he didn't, for that reason, try to tone it down or soften it. No, no. No, no. There is an offended God, and Jesus has taken the, the wrath of God because of my sin on himself that I can go scot-free. He didn't soften it at all. And he goes on, in, 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 if we go on to the next, the next slide, just the, the last phrase, because he says that it's only when we are straight about the main thing that the Spirit of God really takes hold and uses the main thing. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, if you, you know, I, I, I don't know if you're into the fullness of the Spirit, but I am. I, I don't know if you long and pray for the baptism of the Spirit. I did. I, 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 you may not kind of be in favor of all of that stuff, but he was. Sorry. I, I, but why? Why does the Spirit of God come? to give the gospel message real edge and effect. And he, he doesn't soften it at all. I, somebody sent me, if you could just kind of find that slide. I've only got one slide for my sermon today, but, you know, it's from the Master. And, and somebody thought I'd like John Calvin's quote this week, and uh, it just popped into my inbox. So I thought, oh, that's good. This to what he says. It's John Calvin, the great reformer. The Holy Spirit so inheres in his truth, which he expresses in Scripture, that only when its proper reverence and dignity are given to the word does the Holy Spirit show forth. Wow. God sent down the same Spirit by whose power he had dispensed the word to complete his work by the efficacious confirmation of the word. That's just what Paul said. In verse 5. We need to keep Jesus and him crucified as the main thing. We need to let it inspire us. We need to let it transform us. We need to let it motivate us. But, but I suppose... More important than anything, we need to let it save us. You might think, David, I, I I've, I've never really, never really seen it like you're saying it. I, you know, I'm, I'm religious. Uh, I went to Sunday school. I, you know, I, I, I'm here. I, I'm, and you're saying that, yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I need, I need to come to a place where I personally receive the Saviour and the benefits of his cross. Now, I brought with me the reason that somebody else is handing out the Waleswide stuff is that that's not the most important thing I want you to go away with this morning. When I'm standing at the door doing what ministers do and you say, lovely word, Vicar, and I say... <clears throat> in, in my, I, I, I just want to give everybody one of Pete Hodge's tracks this morning. Pete Hodge, he's, an, he's an, a friend of mine um, who's an evangelist. And uh, he's produced this little tract, Turn to God. And it and just explains the gospel. And uh, so I have three reasons for wanting you just to go away. If you want five copies or more, you can take them. I've got a bundle. They'll be in my right left hand. Just take one. Just say, thank you very much, Vicar, and take the leaf. And I have three reasons for this. And with this, I'm going to pray and close. I'm anxious that you just get what the gospel is clear again. I'm giving you this as a kind of piece of revision. I know you did your A-O levels. Uh, I know you did it years ago. But I just want you to sharpen up. And then the second reason is that as as a result of that, you may want to have this at hand to give it to somebody this week. That would be good, wouldn't it? Or it may be, actually, this is what's missing. You can see that there's a reality and a faith in other people's life, but you haven't quite got it yet. There's a prayer at the end of the little leaflet, and if you read it and if it it speaks truth to you and you want to receive Christ as Saviour, it'll explain at the end how you do that. So before you leave this morning, please take something out of my left hand. Let's pray together.